Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello and welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. I am your host, Trevor Williams. And today on the show, we are going to talk about something that I really have never heard about before. And that's something called a micro-dairy. So we are interviewing today Jesse Vivian from Lanes and Creamery in Pennsylvania. And Jesse and his family have not 100, not 50. They have 10 head of cows that they produce some really tasty, phenomenal milk. And they do so using a process that's mind-boggling. It's They only milk once a day instead of two or three times a day which is really interesting. I've never heard of that concept before. And so Jesse is going to talk to us today about what their micro dairy is, how they are able to produce a really decent amount of milk while only milking once a day, and also kind of how the animal gets used to that process of being milked only once. Because, you know, cows don't always produce milk. They have to calve, have a, um, a calf, obviously hence the name calving, um, to produce milk. And so... Um, you, you actually kind of have to train the cows a little bit after like one cycle to get them used to milking once a day, which is really, really fascinating. And so Jesse's going to talk to us all about that, the history of his farm, how he actually grew up on a farm. He grew up on a family dairy, and then that dairy went through a lot of hard times. And then he eventually decided to start his own micro dairy and how he got some really good advice listening and reading to Dave Ramsey on some really cool financial advice and how he took that into practice with his micro dairy and his business. So this was such a fun interview. If you want to check him out, which I highly encourage you to check out Lane's End, um, go to the description of this episode, check out their website, check out their Instagram. And also if you want to check out microdairydesigns.com, it's a website that Jesse mentions a lot that kind of really helped them kind of get their footing when they started their micro dairy. So I hope you learn a lot about micro dairy and how this is such a cool concept and how I really hope it kind of catches on the future. So enjoy this episode with Jesse. I learned a lot. I think you will too. 
All right. Well, Jesse, welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having us. So you are a micro dairy. Well, you have a micro dairy and a creamery. And kind of to start right off, what is a micro dairy? Like I'm, I know it's not this, but I'm imagining just like little, little bottles of milk. So what exactly is a micro dairy and how did you guys get started doing it? I'm not sure there's an exact definition of what a micro dairy is. <laughs> um, we glommed onto the term and um, the guy who makes the equipment we use is called micro dairy designs. Okay. I guess if I wanted to define it, it would just be a very small dairy and um, you would pro- you process your own product and market it and sell it all yourself. You know, you, you keep all the dollar, you, you don't spread it out to everybody else, you know, kind of like a microbrewery, same kind of idea. I like that. that. That's a very good kind of comparison there. And I mean, I'm sure that's, that's probably a lot of work on your shoulders. I mean, not only collecting the milk, but processing it, bottling it, like, I mean, how complicated and how mu- how time consuming is that whole process? Way more than we thought when we started. <laughs> like, when I started, like I grew up on a on a on a conventional dairy farm in the Allegheny Mountains of Pennsylvania, and um, you know we had 110 cows that we milked, and we farmed 600 acres, mm. and I knew how long that took. So I'm like, you know, when we started out, we had two cows that we bought off my parents, and I was like, this is going to take me like 20 minutes a day. No, way wrong. Like, it takes five hours to process the milk now, and another five hours of chores, and then if we and then we deliver milk all over the place, you know, like I'm, I'm way busier than I thought I would be. Don't put it that way. <laughs> I can imagine. And so, what was kind of the inspiration behind doing all that? I mean, I know like being a dairy farmer is super complicated. It's a lot of hard work. You're waking up three, four times a night to go milk cows. And so what was the inspiration behind you guys controlling everything there? Like what made you want to do that? Well, when I had to leave my parents' farm, and that's a long story we can get into if you want, but when I walked away, I thought that was it for farming. I didn't think I'd ever own a Mm -hmm. farm ever again, you know, like we were talking about before the show started. It takes a million dollars to start up a farm. Well, I didn't have a million dollars and just thought that was going to be it. And then Lisa and I got started. Um, with the idea of, you know, a, a small scale farm of any kind. And we bought a book because we were going to do a market garden, right? You know, we bought John Martin's market gardener book and we found out real quick. We don't like, we don't like gardening on that scale. That was a lot <laughs> of work and we weren't very good at it. I'm a cattle guy. I'm an equipment operator. And I was just like, well, you know, whatever, we'll try this. And then we found Micro Dairy Designs, Frank Kipe's company. And he's got, you know, how to how to have a three cow dairy. And it's like, we could do that. That's not going to take that much effort. Uh, we found out it takes a lot more effort than that. But um, so the reason we did the micro dairy versus going and getting the and buying the farm was like, I'm a big Dave Ramsey guy and I didn't want to get buried in a bunch of debt. So mm-hmm. it was less scary to say, hey, you know, we can do this for the cost of a fancy pickup truck, or we can try and do something crazy that we're never going to be able to get in front of. We can either try and build something, or we can have a mountain dumped on top of us and try and dig out of it, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, I mean, that works. Yeah. Yeah. So we bought two calves off my parents as they were going out of business, two heifer calves. And that gave us about 20 months to get the thing built, set up. And we did that. And that we got our license to start selling milk in March of 2020. 
well, in Pennsylvania, the shutdown for COVID happened March like 14th or 15th. So we were literally open <laughs> for 15 days. But we were food, so we were allowed to keep going. And at that point, I'm a real estate agent, and they told us there's not, there's not, that's done for a while. And so that just gave us six months where we could really focus on doing this. And people just started buying the milk, and it just kept going. And we went from really quick, we went from two cows to four cows to six cows. We milk 10 cows now. That's impressive. So, I mean, I mean, that's kind of cool, like doubling every couple of weeks. I mean, two, four, six, eight, ten. And so what all went into the process of, I mean, bottling on site? Like what kind of equipment did you have to buy? And what were some kind of growing pains you guys faced with that? Um, the equipment, you know, Microdairy Designs, they sell you a full legal pasteurizing um, mm. system. Everything comes with the system. You just have to have the buildings and the infrastructure built before it shows up. Um, they've changed some of their business model in this two years too, since we first met those guys and they're great. I mean, they're, they're great with support. They, they sent us blueprints. I forwarded the blueprints to my inspectors, by the way, if you're going to try and do something like this, I mean, you're the inspectors, your friend, like always in the dairy industry, it's like, you're scared of the inspector. Well, when you mm -hmm. go to this level, the inspector is actually your friend. And, um, the inspector approved the blueprints, told me, Hey, if you can build that building like in the blueprints, we won't have any problems. So we built that building. And the first real growing pain we hit was I was scared to use the equipment because it's like, <laughs> it wouldn't break anything. Yeah. <laughs> so we got that, we got over that real quickly though. And um, the next one we hit is just like, we couldn't meet demand. We couldn't mm. service the demand we were creating. Like that we just kept hitting that. And we're still having that issue a little bit. That's the biggest thing though, is just like, you know, it's, it's those three basic rules of, of starting a business, right? It's going to cost more than you think. It's going to take longer than you think. And you're not the exception. <laughs> I like that. Is that Dave Ramsey advice there? Yes, it is. Like if you can't, I'm a huge, I'm a huge Dave Ramsey guy. I actually coordinate the financial peace stuff at the church and all that stuff. And I, oh, I that's really, cool. Yeah. I really think that that is, um, some of the crux for this is just like yeah, dairy farming has gotten so hard at any scale, whether it's 5,000 cows, 500 cows, or 50 cows, that you just, we just had to come up with a new way, you know, because the margins are so tight. We, we opened the margins back up for ourselves. And by not going into debt to do this and staying small scale to figure it out, you know, we kind of did what Fair Oaks Farms did. Now, if you don't know who Fair Oaks Farms is, that's the farm that started um, Fair Life Milk. Mm -hmm. If they had a pile of money, they could do it on a huge commercial scale converting a commodity farm into a into a retail farm where we we didn't have a commodity farm so we just looked at how do you do a retail farm and we went straight into that and that's been a huge benefit for us i can imagine and i mean so i was talking with your, with your wife lisa about you coming on the show and i mean you guys are micro dairy so you don't have a hundred head of cattle which the normal dairy is milking i don't know two three sometimes four times a day but you guys have this crazy concept of only milking once a day, which, I mean, looking at it, I'm con it confuses me because you would think, you know, you got less cows, you need to milk more so you can make more profit. So what was the inspiration behind going through that once a day milking process? And then what does it look like for y'all? How well is, has it worked? And do you recommend it for other micro dairies? Yeah, for, for any micro dairy, I would, for any retail dairy, I would suggest it. Um, I blew... All the farmers I know, I blew their minds, all the dairy farmers, when I said, we're going to try mm. once a day milking. They're like, are you crazy? 
Like, what are you doing? <laughs> but it, it got to the point where between it's just me here and, and Lisa and Lisa does the marketing and she does a great job of all this. I handle all the cow chores and I process the milk and we bottle together when she's not working because we both have off farm jobs too. And it mm. was just a ton of work. And where when we when we switched to the once a day milking, we found a couple people who were doing it and um, talked to them about it. And they said, you know, that first transition for any cow that's in lactation is going to be brutal for you. You're, you're going to feel mm. like this is a bad idea because the production is going to just crater. Um, and it did. But then on the backside of that, every time they've started a new lactation that, you know, they've started producing milk again after the next calf, every one of those cows has been over five gallons of production in one milking for basically the duration of the whole lactation. They did, they didn't go through like the normal curve where it's like they, they, they climb the mountain then they plateau, then they kind of slowly slide down. They just kind of mm-hmm. went up the mountain and stayed there. And I don't know why that is. I can't explain it, but that's been our experience with it. And, you know, at five gallons of milk, that's not what these cows could be doing. These, ta- these cows could be doing, if we were milking them twice a day, they'd probably be making close to eight gallons of milk. So we right. do, do lose some production, but it's like I told my grandpa, I think I'd rather milk eight cows once a day than six cows twice a day. <laughs> that's true. That's interesting. I was wondering how much you would have to train the cow because I mean, you know, the cow is producing milk. You got to get it out of there. And so that's interesting that they adapt to it. And that I've seen that bell curve a lot where it kind of, after they, they, they calf, they slowly start producing more and more milk, then it peaks and it goes down after a while. So that's interesting for you guys. It just like kind of steadily stays there a little bit. Yeah. You, you get to the back, you get to the back, the last 90 days of the lactation, they start to slide under that five a little bit, but it's not nearly as mm-hmm. big a drop as, is what you see with a, with a twice or a three times a day milking cow. And it just it really decreased the labor load on us. Yeah, I was wondering about that kind of both the labor on you guys and as well as the cow. Like, would you say you've seen like some benefits for the cow that is doing it this way? Yeah, um, I think since we don't feed fermented feeds because we're trying to Mm -hmm. have just just a different flavor on the milk and, you know, whatever the cows eat that that changes the flavors of the milk. So, you know, we're primarily grass based with with a dry hay mix and a a corn supplement. And um, so our cow health milking twice a day, our cows were pretty skinny. They weren't getting enough cow. Mm. But once a day, our cows look really healthy. Like our vet comes in and he's just like, these, these are good, healthy looking cows. Our reproductive stuff has all gone well. We haven't had any mastitis or calving issues, you know, as far as like really? okay. stuff. But I mean, and we only have, we only have 10 cows total. We're, we're usually milking yeah. about eight with two dry at any, any point in the season. I mean, so that's, you know, again, we're only dealing with 10 cows, not, 2000 or 200 but it's you know it's all been interesting to me it's 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 been an experiment you know like i really thought it was gonna be a hobby like i thought you know this is gonna be this little hobby where we do a little stuff (laughs) like people just kept coming we kept buying cows we've gotten to about where we can get to we're gonna have to expand our farm if we want to go much further than this oh no i can imagine and i mean would you advise like maybe bigger dairies like not micro dairies to kind of practice this either once a day milking or just kind of scaling back their operation, just kind of, I don't know, just trying things a little bit different. I think that, and this is just purely my opinion, but if you have like a generational farm that's making you money and you, and you feel good about it and you, and you're not in a big debt load, 
I would consider putting in one of these small things if somebody wanted to stay, like if one of your kids wanted to stay and it's like, how are we going to create this income? Because I think this is part of what went wrong at my parents' farm was both my sister and I both wanted to stay. And there Mm -hmm. was no way to scale that thing big enough for three families to live on it. It just didn't work. And, And that was part of probably what went wrong, honestly, where like if we would have said, all right, one of you wants to stay what are you going to do to add value to this farm besides just working hard? I think this would be something to look into would be just, you know, separating four or five cows out of your herd. Cause you're probably your, your commodity purchaser, you know, the plant that's buying your milk, they're probably not going to want you to do this. So you'll have to just build your own little separate dairy on the dairy and, and have a creamery there on the dairy that's separate from your, from your milk buyer. And I think that would be a good idea on that. Now, if you're a first generation farm and you're being just crushed, the, the wolf is always at the door. You, 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 you're so close to quitting every day because you've just, you just had it, right? The once a day milking might be the breath of fresh air that allows you to stay mm. in your passion and you could also get a job to, to help pay the bills. Or maybe you just bite the bullet, sell everything and restart like me and Lisa did at a different place with a clean slate. That would be really hard to do. It was it was terribly hard for me to just walk away from my parents' farm and then see it fall apart, and there was nothing I could do to help. You know, in in the in the five year span between me leaving and and us starting this, that was that was really hard to watch happen. And um, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't advise anybody to go through that pain unless you were like, I love doing this, but I hate it because I can't make any money. I'm ready to quit. Maybe try it then. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's the hardest thing is, is just like when the, when the federal orders and all this stuff aren't leaving you enough money to make a living. So they basically are treating you like you have a hobby. Well, a hobby where you make no money and work 18 hours a day is a terrible hobby. <laughs> that, yeah. Hobbies are supposed to be fun and uplifting, really. That doesn't sound very fun at all. Yeah. And, and uh, there's, a, there's a ton of dairy farmers in the traditional dairy states that have large populations and not huge tracts of landmass that are facing that. Like, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New York, uh, Wisconsin, although Wisconsin's kind of shifted to these models faster than everybody else. Vermont mm. did the same thing. They shifted quicker because they had to. And, um, you know, I, I think Pennsylvania is going to end up in that direction. I think Pennsylvania's lost 6,000 dairies over the last decade. Really? It's something like that. It's a, it's a big number and it's devastating. Like I, I know even in just our little area, the Allegheny Mountains, where it, it's really hard to do more than a hundred cows, you know, 150 cows is a big farm here. And because the land mass plus the people population, plus the culture, mm-hmm. you just can't keep up with the other people, the other farms in the federal order that are out in the flatland States like Ohio and Indiana and Michigan. But there's a lot of people in Pennsylvania that are dairymen that just were forced out. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, let's talk about that a little bit if you want. I mean, I, I know like, I don't know, a couple years it's been, really hectic for dairies. I mean, both because of just, I don't know, the surge of plant-based milks, alternative milk, just the rising cost oh, of dairy in general. And not milks. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the nut and oat juices really not, not really milks. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it has to come from a mammal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, let's kind of talk about, I mean, you've kind of mentioned it already, but kind of the whole process of like your, your family dairy. I mean, what was that like? I mean, I've heard that story a lot from farmers that really grew up. They there was this pressure to diversify the operation, 
not just as like a means of, you know, have your impact on it, but also as a means of survival for that business to grow and withstand the economy. So what kind of, what was kind of the family story there? Well, my parents bought that farm in 1980. They were Mm. 20 and 24, you know, and just, uh, you know, you've, I've heard you interview some people that were in this similar situation, just a generation behind them, but yeah, they bought it at 20 and 24 and you know, it was, they bought it lock, stock and barrel and they had my sister and then me and we grew up on that farm and it was a great way to grow up. And, you know, up until probably about the year 2000, you know, a farm the size my parents had, it was at that point, they were milking like 70 cows and farming probably 300 acres. Mm-hmm. It was a, it was a, you could make a living. And at about 99, that, that crash happened and it never came back. Mm-hmm. And then you get to about 2005 and there's another spike and it's like, all right, we're going to figure this out. We went to, we expanded to the herd to 110 cows. We started farming soybeans and, and, and row crop and corn and farming 600 acres. Okay. We're going to figure this out. And then another crash happens in 2009, like literally three and a half years later. And it's even more devastating. And then it just never came back from that. I mean, my dad looking back, you know, he had some time where he had to catch his breath and, you know, between where he is now and what happened after all that happened when it fell apart. And he's like, in the nineties, I think he said he had six profitable years, two break even years and two loss years from Mm. 2000 to 2018. He had three profitable years. Jeez. That's some tough margins. Yeah. And, and, and my dad's a good farmer and he knew what he was doing and he just, like I said, I, I think he was trying to chase it down so we could all stay and we just got out of hand on some of the debt maybe, but it was because he was trying so hard. I mean, my dad's a hard worker and it just, my mom and dad, they, they just had a bunch of bad luck. And you know, when you're farming and, and the margins are that small anyways, what is it like a, a, a dime a day, a cow or something like that anyways, and so, and a couple of things go wrong, you're just, you're not going to get up off the mat. And I think like, you know, going back to my micro dairy design here, We've did this basically debt free. If bad things happen, we'll be able to survive them. Yeah, I don't know what the bad thing would be, but we'd be able to survive it. Wouldn't be devastating. We can figure it out. Where once you get that far down the path, trying to chase that commodity thing in a place where the federal government really doesn't care whether you make it or not anymore because you don't fit their scales anymore, Mm -hmm. you're just on your own floating out there in an industry that doesn't even care about you. At least that's the way it feels. Oh yeah, I mean you're you're not putting all your eggs in one basket, or or maybe you're not putting all your milk in one barrel. I mean because it's a micro dairy, you you still have time for your your day job, but you're still making a really good product, and you're doing it in a very different way, in a very cool way. Which I mean honestly, I've never really heard of a micro dairy before. I've never really heard of once a day milking, and so it's cool. I feel like you're definitely setting yourself apart by kind of just doing it this I don't know this really kind of a smart way that's not gonna. I don't know, be super, super debt ridden for you and your family. Yeah. I, 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 I like that, you know, Dave Ramsey, we'll bring him back into this conversation for a second. You know, he always tells people in California, just cause you're in California, you don't get a pass on math. Well, I like to adapt that <laughs> just cause you're a farmer doesn't mean you get a pass on math because the math is the math and you've, you've got to be getting a comparable wage to what you are or could do out in the marketplace in a different job with your skill set. You, you've got to be close to that. And when you're a micro dairy, you can set your prices to get there. Like we control our price. 
I hated doing this. This has been a hard thing. You know, my wife, Lisa, would tell you, like, I've really struggled with this. We've had to raise our prices recently because of everything mm. else. And that was hard for me. But, you know, to, to keep ourselves in a, at a livable wage, like here's a, here's a John Martin quote I like. He says, no one's ever going to get rich farming, but you ought to be able to make a living. <laughs> That's a good quote. About that. And when you can control your prices, you can make sure you can make a living. What what was the response like from your your customers, especially kind of like I don't know your um your very passionate customers that were following you since maybe day one? Like, what was their response whenever you raised your prices? I mean, hopefully they were like, yeah, I understand inflation's going up. Like, what was that like? That was exactly what the conversation was. You you nailed really? it. Okay. You know, and our vendors were the same way. They're just like, yeah, we we get it. You know, like we wish you luck. We hope this doesn't change anything for you. And so far, it hasn't. And hopefully, it doesn't. I mean, I think the public understands. Like. It's everything's just got more expensive, and I hope everybody in the in the in the workforce. I hope their wages all go up with this rising tide. I mean, in, inflation's tough, and for the first time in forty years, we're facing it. And you know, we're going to get through it. I'm I'm sure we are, but it's 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 going to have some growing pains for sure. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, like speaking about that, you guys are making just such a cool product in such a cool way. And I know you said Lisa, your wife, kind of does the marketing side of it, but how important is it? telling you guys a story and setting your product apart as you're making this very niche product. Like what's that been like for you guys? Oh, that's been super important. And Lisa's mm -hmm. great. You know, like I, I'm, I'm a person, I like philosophy and I like strategy and I like, um, you know, that kind of stuff. And Lisa's like, uh, you know, she's good at accomplishing stuff. Like she's a doer. Like this is what we want to do. She'll have a plan. She'll figure it out. She'll nail it. And we've made a great team that way. And, you know, like, so her getting the word out about the difference between cream line milk versus whole milk, unhomogenized versus homogenized, explaining pasteurization to our customers. And when we get the question, why is your milk different? Why does it taste different? Why is it, why is that, why is it heavy on the top and light on the bottom? And like, it's like <laughs> cream line, all the cream rises to the top. You have to shake it. Yeah. And her, her flavor development, she's, she's got a great tongue for the, a great taste for this stuff. Like, you know, we make a caramel milk. We make a strawberry milk out of a strawberry puree, not strawberry sauce. So like it's got the seeds. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, and then our, the chocolate milk we make alongside just the regular, whole, the regular cream line milk. And she just did a great job of explaining this. You know, when we get it out there, people try it and it's just a flavor and a richness and a creaminess that uh, people aren't used to because I, I told a customer this recently, like we're the closest thing to you having your own cow in your own backyard without you actually having to have a cow in your backyard you know like <laughs> that's pretty good i like that like what inspired you guys to not homogenize your milk because i know i feel like that's been a very good trend the past couple of years people learning more about homogenization what that does i know some countries like like in england they don't homogenize most of their milk and so what was the reasoning behind that well homogenizers are very expensive to begin mm -hmm. with but we found that that's the niche we were looking for like People like that. Like a, 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 quite a few of our earliest customers were like, I've been looking for a milk like this for 30 years since Jim Grant's dairy went out of business or, or the Ross dairy went out of business or, you know, all these little jug and dairies that used to be in our area. They all went out of business in the 60s and 70s. That's when they quit doing it because it was just easier mm -hmm. to get the commodity milk because their farms fit the commodity milk scale at that point. And yeah, you know, I mean, why why jug the milk when um, VT Smith Dairy is going to pay you the same price to just put it on their truck? So those guys all quit doing that, and then these these guys that are you know 
north of 55 start showing up out here and they drink that milk and they're just like, yeah, this takes me back to Jim Grant's dairy 35 years ago. Don't ever quit making this milk. Mm -hmm. I'm sad it went away. You know, and you get all these people like, oh, I love just dumping that milk into a mason jar and then spooning the cream off the top and doing yada, yada, yada with it. I mean, when we started this thing, we honestly thought we were making cheese and butter. That's what we thought we were going to (laughs) do. Really? Yeah. And my buddy that was helping me build it, he's like, I don't know. We like, we were making cheese. We were making butter because the one cow came fresh six months before we were licensed to sell. So we were doing all this stuff and just giving it away at samples. And we were making cultured butter and we were making all this stuff and it was really good and buttermilk. And, but my buddy that was helping me build, it's like, this milk is amazing. I've never tasted milk like this in my life. Why don't you just sell the milk? I was like, well, we're gonna, go. I was like, we're going to do it all. Cause I had no idea that we were just going to get swamped. Like the first day, the first day we're open, my wife's working at the hospital and I am there at the thing. And we got a refrigerator full of all these products and everything's gone. And I'm like, okay, well tomorrow I'm, I'm pasteurizing. So we'll just have milk. And by noon the next day I had to call Lisa and like, stop the people. There's no milk left. It's already noon. and we're just <laughs> I don't know what to do. And then that, that's when we started buying cows off of uh, Highland H Dale Hyman. Um, he's like, he's probably the most successful farmer in this area. And, um, I was telling him what he was doing and he just shook his head and was like, good for you, man. And then like, I go back after we bought, you know, so we bought one cow. So that puts us at three. Right. And that's what my whole system was designed for was three. And I I go back like a month later and like, I got to buy another one. He goes, (laughs) we got to meet demand. I need a fourth. Yeah. He's like, well, what are you going to do? I'm like, I'm going to pasteurize milk twice a day. He's like, man, you're going to kill yourself if it's taking as long as you, I was like, yeah, but you know, we're, we're going to try and keep meeting this demand. Cause at that point, real estate was closed down and I couldn't do anything. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it was just like, yeah, that's, that's what we're just going to keep doing this. And that got to be pretty tedious. But, um, I looked at him in the, in, in, when I was telling him about the other one, I was like, you know, of all the people that grew up on farms around here, Dale, I think I'm the least qualified to do this. And he just laughed at me. He goes, no, no, you're not. You'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> honestly, the guys that are not the couple years older than me that took over their family farms and, and kept going were way more into farming than I was when we were kids, but it just worked out this way. Yeah. I mean, it seems like you came at it with like such a fresh perspective and you just wanted to try something new and different. And I mean, that I, I'd say that kind of led to you guys' success. I mean, you're like, Hey, let's try this thing. Let's scale up. And I mean, it also seems like kind of a perfect storm, I guess, like during the start of COVID, I mean, you didn't really have enough time to do real estate because that was shut down. Then everybody started to want this milk and you had more time to work on it. And then, I mean, yeah. here you guys are. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And again, it, it, the dairy farm startups, I think that this is the model. And unless you were, unless you had an independent bag of money, you know what I mean? Which we didn't. <laughs> like this is, this is the model I think you could do. I, I think anybody can do this. Like I said, our initial investment is less than most people's really fancy pickup trucks. Mm. You just, that's, yeah, that's not bad. Yeah. You have to have the land. You have to have at least 10 or 20 acres, you know, cause cows need space. A cow should have, well, where we live anyways, a cow should have about an acre and a half to herself, mm. you know, as far as space goes. But, um, yeah, like literally less than that fancy pickup truck, you could get started into this. If it was something you wanted to do now, you know, if this, it's a lot of work. So don't get, don't get me wrong. You're like, this is not like owning a dog or a horse. There's a ton more work in it. <laughs> you know dairy or you're interested in dairy this is the way to go for sure as a startup yeah and do you think like i don't know this could maybe be an answer to i don't know just kind of how far removed people are from farms do you think this could kind of be an answer where local communities could have 
their local micro dairies and people could have their local supply of milk locally because of systems like this. A hundred percent for sure. Like our goal in the end of this thing is to kind of be like, I don't know if you have kids, but you know, we like to, we like to quote Curious George in the Rankin's farm, you know, like the, the, oh, the yeah, man in the yellow hat and George live beside, you know, like we want to be a farm like that. where like, it's a child storybook kind of farm where you, you can come out, you can see the cows, everything looks the way you would imagine it to be. And, you know, Martin, again, back to John Martin, you know, the first step to sustainability is economic viability. And mm. this is, this is a viable way to do it. You, you can, you can have a living at this. You, you really can. And, and so, I mean, so what's that like, like having people come out and tour around there? Like, I'm sure that's so fun. And they're like, oh, this is the dairy. This is so fun. The cows all seem happy. Like you only milk once a day. Like what's that kind of outreach? Like, I'm sure that's huge and just such a great way to connect consumers with agriculture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, it's that whole like, if you don't know your farmer, you're really not a foodie. And like people get to come out here, they actually meet me. And I actually have time to give them a second of my time and say, mm -hmm. hey, this is this. And these are the cows. And you know, you want to you want to pet the calf or, or whatever, we can walk around the farm for a second if they want to, if they want to do that. We're not really doing farm tours yet. But if somebody comes out and, you know, I'll give them some some of my time if I'm not busy. And there's lots of times where I can find a way where I won't be busy. And that's reintroducing people to farms, which we are getting so far removed from. Like, I, it, people are floored by this, I'm sure, but like, less than two percent of the population is producing our food at this point. That's getting to be a really narrow window that produces a ton of food. Like, I've heard guys say it this way before: never before in the history of the world have so few people produced so much food. Mm. And that's got good and bad with it, because. When so few people are producing so much food like that, if something goes wrong, it's really going to go wrong. Where, you know, like if there's, if there's one of these in every town, there's at least something. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there, there's something you can fall back on. You don't have to wait for your milk to get shipped from Wisconsin if you're living in Florida, for example. And yeah, there's a there's a reel going around on, on Instagram from Mike Rowe, and he's like, yeah, 1.4% of the population are farmers and like they're doing so much with so less compared and nobody knows where the food comes from. I'm like, yeah, you know what? That's pretty true. Like, but I feel like even with social media, you know, we can slowly but surely connect with farmers and ranchers around us. I mean, even you guys is like your Instagram, your website is all really, really good and really educational where if people want to learn about milk, if they want to learn about micro dairies, hopefully they can find you guys and just kind of follow your story and see what's going on. Yeah. Um, I wish I had that information sitting in front of me right now as far as like our, our website and stuff. I was ill-prepared for this conversation. I was out delivering milk and then we couldn't figure out the connection. <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was a bit of a disaster and I'm trying to find some stuff here right now. But um, <laughs> Hey, hey, that happens. No, yeah, I'll, I'll link everything below in the description. I mean, like the Instagram, the website. I think I accidentally somehow have your website open up in three tabs, which I mean, it's not a bad thing. So yeah. 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 So you can, you can find us on Instagram at lanes, lanes dot end dot creamery. And then I don't even know how to find us on Facebook at this exact second. Cause my wife, uh, what is, is the Facebook? Let's see. I, I liked your page today. It is lanes and farm creamery yes. on Facebook, which we'll also link below. Right. And then lanes end.org for, for the farm, for the website, social media marketing is, just such a great tool when you're a small farm or when you're a small business of any kind, because you can get out there and let people know you exist. Like that's changed the world too. The last 10 years, a lot of things have changed. And that is one thing, like we're never going to get out like 
Pepsi or Coke or whatever major company, major national company you want, we can get ourselves out there to our community. And, and that's a big thing when you start a small farm like this is get out in your community, let people know you exist and get, get the word out. Word of mouth is huge in a small business. Like when people started trying the milk and it's like, Hey, yeah, here, you know, send somebody out. We'll give them a free sample. They can try it if they don't like it. You know, a lot of our initial marketing was, you know, I went to a deli and said, we can sell this on consignment. You know, like there'll be no risk on you other than you keeping it on your store shelf. We, we try it out. And you know, those, those delis and those first grocery stores that we started at, they were all like, yep, sure. We'll do that. And it's worked amazing. You know, we'll, we put some point of sale stuff out. People look it up on the internet or whatever, and they, they see it and they were like, I'll try it, whatever. What, what's one time going to hurt. And you know, they, they end up liking the milk and they just keep coming back. It's been great. We sell almost 200 gallons of milk a week now. Shoot. That's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, that's not, you know, when, when you, when I tell my local friend over there that's milking 150 cows, Hey, we sell 200 gallons of milk a week. He's like, Whoa. But then when I'm like, you know, when I tell him what we get for it, it that's a different thing. Cause he understands all the more it costs to have 10 cows versus, you know, for him to milk 150, he's got 200 and then all the young stock that takes to chase that down and all his equipment and everything else and costs of seed and fuel. And we're just in a different, uh, just, we're not even on the same field. We're not even doing the same thing, really. Oh, yeah. Two different leagues. I mean, two very, very different products, too. Yeah, absolutely it is. You know, you said this earlier a second ago, and 35 years ago, if you'd have told somebody that the milk somebody drink is drinking in Pittsburgh, PA today was produced somewhere in the state of Michigan yesterday, they'd have been like, that's impossible. That will never work. Mm-hmm. It's working. They've done it. You know, that's what's working. And so you got to combat somehow if you're going to try and, you know, be sustainable in places where, you know, like you don't necessarily like there should be farms in the Allegheny Mountains. There absolutely should be. But in that federal system, there doesn't need to be. That's very true. And, you know, you kind of touched base on it um, a few minutes ago and I was going to ask, but like kind of the process of working with local I don't know, stores, grocery stores, and even like, I don't know if you guys went to farmer's markets, but just kind of the importance of getting the word out there. And I mean, it seems like everybody was really, really willing to just like, yeah, we'll try it. Yeah, we'll put it in our store with like, I mean, that's so cool. They were committed to just kind of helping out local businesses. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. And you know what? Growing small, like we did, I mean, we grew fast, but being small, that, that helped. Like I went to one store first because we had so many customers coming out to the farm. It's like, all right, we're going to only be open three days a week at the farm. And I'm going to stock the store shelf at Freemers Market, which is our local deli in town. I'm going to stock the store Mm. shelf. It will always be available there, or you can come out to the farm. And then you didn't have to drive the whole way out to my farm to get the milk. You could stop at Freemers Deli on the way by on your way home from work. And we get more customers that way. And we start sending them there. And like the, 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 the owner's son, he called me one time. He's like, hey, I don't know what you're doing. But you got to stop, man. These people are like just beating down the door and there's no milk in here. Either get me more milk or <laughs> tell the people that, you know, not to be so rude to the guys working the front desk. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dan. You know, I'm, I'm sorry. My products are so good. I mean, that's a good problem to have for you. <laughs> yeah. And, and then, you know, so we got to there. So then we, we got more milk and we were producing more milk. We got more cows. And so I went to the next town down the road and did the same thing with, with that bakery there. And the same process happened. And then we just did that a couple times. We're in um, four different towns now within a half hour drive of our farm. Mm-hmm. 
and and that's how we're able to move the volume we are and we could move more volume we've just kind of hit the limit on our pasteurization right now like it's going to take an upgrade in vats and you know following the dave ramsey principle like you should be able to buy it not not borrow for it yeah yeah i mean my dad always told me this as a kid i'll never forget this and i will always not cross this line he's he's always said you should never go into debt further than what the cattle and equipment can get you out. And that was something his boss told him because he's like, if, if it hits the wall, if you break your leg, if you have to quit, whatever the cattle and equipment clear you of all your debts, you don't have to sell your farm then. And that's a smart way. I mean, that way you're not basically at zero. You still have the farm and you can work your way back up, but that way you're not like totally bankrupt. That's interesting. I've never heard of that perspective, but that's really smart. Yeah, but it's broken now. Like, I, there's not a lot of farms that can make that statement. Like, the cattle and equipment would get us out. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, especially now, like, if people, you know, you got to make more milk, you buy more cows. And then eventually that's that's more money to buy more cows. And eventually, I don't know, milk's going to go under, be cheaper, and then you're kind of screwed. So that's interesting. Do you, do you, what do you think would have to happen for more dairies and even more farms to kind of have that perspective? I don't know. I, you know, like you're, you're touching on something that I've pondered a lot in my mind. Like, I don't know how you fix the system we're in at this point. It's Mm. just so entangled in a lot of things that don't have anything to do with, with farming or dairy or any other kind of agriculture at this point. It's, I don't know how you fix that. And, you know, like, that's the great thing about America, right? You, You can either try and figure out how to fix the system that's broken or you can just completely unplug yourself from it and try something else. Maybe that works, maybe it doesn't, but at least having the opportunity to, that, that's, that's, that's the great thing. Because that's what we did. We just said, we can't participate in that system. We can't get into it. it it's not going to allow us to. Mm-hmm. Let's try this weird thing that we read in this vegetable book and let's, let's take the vegetable farmer's idea and apply it to dairy and see if it works. And then as we started doing it, we found out, hey, you know what, there's other people doing this. And then we started, you know, communicating with them and we found them on Instagram and Facebook. And, you know, we've developed a a little bit of a community with with other farms that are doing something similar that we didn't even know existed before we started. I mean, that's awesome that I mean, you're able to build that community with people that were using systems very similar to y'all's. And you could see like, hey, we're not the only ones out there. We can share ideas, collaborate with people that are, you know, not just fixing the system, but they're creating their very own system. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe hopefully in the future, maybe Dave Ramsey can come out with something about agriculture based. I mean, I know he's got a lot of books out. Maybe he can do that in the future. That'd be kind of cool. I'd be interested to, to read one of those books. Yeah. 12 New York Times bestsellers the guy has. Maybe you could <laughs> maybe give me a chance. <laughs> we So my wife and I, we love listening to his podcasts. Um, I mean, I'm a little bit jealous of the guy because he's got a radio show that he does for three hours and then he uploads them as a podcast. I'm like, man, that's a pretty good setup. But, you know, when people call, they just have like, oh, oh, I, I just bought a Ferrari and I'm three hundred thousand dollars in debt. He, and he just he goes, are you stupid? Are you an idiot? Sell that car. <laughs> I mean, he'll give it to you straight. I love all day. <laughs> you can do that when you have almost a billion dollars and six hundred radio stations. You yeah. can just tell somebody, I don't care if you listen anymore. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I don't care if I offend you. I'm giving it to you straight. I mean, I love yeah. Dave. He's hilarious. I've tried to call into him a couple of times on like because I made this this podcast an LLC. So I'm trying to ask him some LLC questions. So hopefully one day we'll get on the radio show with a little bit of free publicity. We'll see how that goes, but you never know. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Well, Jesse, this has been awesome, man. So if people want to learn more about you guys, your lanes and 
um, dairy. I'll link all the Facebook, Instagram, website, everything below in the description. But um, yeah, what's next for you guys? Like, are you going to get 12 cows? I know that's probably in the future. Maybe, maybe not, probably yeah, not I mean, more than 14. We, we, we started, you know, basically three years ago with our first two calves. <clears throat> so, you know, we've got calves that are coming that, that are going to be cows pretty soon. So yeah, we'll probably have 12 cows next year. We'll probably get a bigger vat. We're adding on a better storefront right now. We would mm. like to expand the footprint of the farm by some neighboring property. I don't know if that's going to work out or not. That's 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 a want. And um, we'd like to get our farm opened up to where we can start doing some agritourism and different things like that. Uh, so that's that's what's in the future. It's just we've got to line some stuff up first, and we don't have any of that stuff lined up. We've we've actually looked at a couple other farms in the area, but mm -hmm. nothing's nothing's fit right yet. We don't want to leave this place. We love this place. We just need more space. And that's going to be, that's going to be the limiting factor right now for us is just, you know, the fact that we only have 20 acres. We've done this on 20 acres. And my dad still has his 19 acres out there. So he's going to start taking the, the young stock out there to his farm. He's raising some beef cows and we actually sell them at our store here too. Hmm. And um, that, 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 that buys us a little space, but that's, you know, that's kind of a, a temporary fix to what's going to end up being a permanent problem if we keep going. <laughs> That's true. I mean, can you guys expand around you or is pretty much all the land around you guys already sold up? It's, it, it, it's, it's privately owned. There's, there's on, on two of the four borders we have, there's hundred acre parcels that we think we may have the opportunity to buy at some point. We're hoping. We mm, do. Okay. So that, that would, that would solve a lot of problems just being able to do that. It's just lining that up. And, you know, right now what we're doing to control our herd size is we're breeding half the cows to Angus bulls. Mm -hmm. So when, you know, when that, that calf's obviously not going to be a dairy cow, regardless of what it is. And then the other half, you probably get a, like a 50-50 ratio. So, you know, we probably get two heifer calves a year, which when you only have 10 cows, that's fine. And oh, yeah. then, the, you know, beef animals at this point, especially in our part of Pennsylvania, but probably everywhere are worth more than dairy animals. Mm -hmm. So we have a sellable calf there. You know whether we sell it to my dad or or another or another guy that's in the beef industry, we can at least get some value out of that cow having a calf. You know because they have to yeah, have a calf here or they won't make milk. Yeah, that's true. I mean that's smart. You guys have just another additional revenue option there for you. I mean that's smart. Which a lot of people don't really realize that that's how it goes. I mean you've got to obviously if you have a male calf, they can't produce milk, so you've got to have a you know a revenue for that. Or if you're breeding up with Angus, for example, a lot of stuff goes into it that people might not think at first. Yeah, I've I've said this even back when I was commodity farming. Farming, you know, being a farmer is not rocket science, but there's stuff that's almost like rocket science that goes into farming. A hundred percent. Yeah, it's it, there's a ton of science in farming. Yeah, I mean, you've got to know so much about the weather, the chemistry, animal husbandry, biology. Yeah, it's not rocket science, but you've got to know a lot about it. You, you've you've got to know a little about a lot. I yeah, mean, there's you, always one quote that I love about farmers. It's like you've got to be a jack of all trades. Yeah, Mike Rose said that just the other day on his podcast. Farmers are the last generalists. You just got to be good at everything. <laughs> Maybe yeah, not they are. You got to be good at everything. Yeah, I I love Micro. I mean, I'm kind of old school. I love the show Dirty Jobs, and so I'm trying to do that with with Farm Traveler. But I just love how he would give you kind of the honest perspective about what's really going on, and he would show you, you know, here's Farmer Dave from Texas. 
He might look real simple, but he knows a lot about a lot and he's super hardworking. So I love that. I, I think that's kind of one of the most redeeming factors about farmers throughout the country. I mean, they know a lot about a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And and they're all hardworking. You, you can't oh, do 100%. this. 100%. It, it won't work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, you're not going to get rich being farming. So you got to work hard at it and you got to know what you're doing and you got to enjoy it. Because obviously, if you're not enjoying it, and you're not going to get rich off of it, then why do it? And so I feel like 99% of farmers are doing it because they love it. Yeah, they got they got to definitely got a passion for it. You know, I'll, I'll probably leave you with this probably be my last best quote, but I'll finish off that Martin quote. He's got a backside to it. After after he dropped the like the knowledge quote in the book, he was <laughs> in the interview and he goes, you want to know a secret? He goes, if you want to get rich farming, figure out how to make a living and then write a book about how to make a living farming. <laughs> I think I've heard that quote before. That's so good. You're going to make more money off the book than you do with farming. Yeah. With farming's your passion. Just keep chasing yeah. that. That's what you need to chase. And if you actually have some kind of ability to write a book, do that too. Farming's going to be your hobby. That's a little bit lucrative, but not nearly as much as writing a book or literally anything else. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, Jesse, this has been a blast, man. Love chatting with you. Best of luck. I'll keep following you guys on Instagram and Facebook, see what you're doing. And if we're ever in Pennsylvania, we're going to we're gonna have to stop by and try your milk and see what's going on at the farm. Absolutely. And stop, you can stop in. We live in a beautiful part of Pennsylvania. The Allegheny Mountains here, the, the Toby Valley, which leads into the Clarion Valley. This, one of the last standing virgin timber forests is 20 mm. minutes. It's, it's an amazing place. It's a great river system. It's clean. It's beautiful. This is a place. This is a hidden gem in the world. Like if you're looking for a week's vacation to unplug, get yourself up here into Jefferson County. And you will be able to find an Airbnb or a bed and breakfast or a cabin in Cook's Forest and just unwind in nature. It's great. It's a great place to live. It's a great place to raise kids. That's perfect. How far is it from like Pittsburgh or Philadelphia? Um, We're just under two hours north of Pittsburgh. Okay. But we're, we're probably almost four hours west of Philadelphia. But we're just located right off of I Interstate 80. So it's an easy place to access. And there's all these great little towns that are that are in this corridor that have nice places to stay and nice places to eat. And, you know, we got a couple of really neat state parks that are pretty close to here. The largest free roaming elk herd east of the Mississippi is within a half hour of us up in no Venezuela. Way. Yeah, That's yeah. There's cool. a lot of cool stuff up here. You know, the this region of the Allegheny Mountains is great. Oh, I'm going to have to add it to the travel itinerary. It sounds like a blast. You got to hit it up here. It's it's great. Like the, the, the leaves in the fall and those elk bugling, and then you go kayak the Clarion River. You can make a week of this and it'll be, it'll be just a great adventure. Oh, easily. It sounds like a week, a, a beautiful week. I mean, that's not bad at all. I'm definitely going to add that. That will be perfect. I will email you. So we'll have to film it and see how it goes. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks, Jesse. We appreciate it, man. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Farm Traveler. Um, be sure to check out Jesse and Lanes and Dairy at the links below in the description. And if you learned a thing or two, consider sharing with a friend or family member or just leaving us a review on iTunes or even Spotify. You can do that on Spotify now, which is really interesting. You can do, um, I think, five stars. You can do four stars, obviously, but if you don't mind, leave us five stars if you enjoyed it. And even if you want to, you can share this episode on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, um, MySpace, if you want to do that, if you're still on MySpace. So yeah, thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next week.